Hello and welcome to the 15th of November edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor for this week, and our readers today are... Hello, this is Catherine. Hi, I'm Phil. And hello, I'm Jane. And in the recording studio is John Plush, our recording engineer, and Carol Hartle is on copying and admin. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording this week. As always, we'll include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on, headline stories, general stories, sport, obituaries, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and the use of our resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us and leave a message. The service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. And for those listeners who access the newspapers and magazines via our website, can I draw your attention to our most recent magazine, which is now available to listen to. It is labelled as October, but so as to avoid confusion with the other magazine, which is labelled October. I know that is confusing, but this is the most recent one, and it is called Taste, and you'll now find it on the website. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers. Jane, I think, could you take over and read them out, please? Yes. Um, police Non-Emergency 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall. 01905 611 427. Malvern Theatres. 01684 892277 Samaritans now a free phone number 116123 and here at Colin Chance House 01905 767 766 Thank you and what's on in Worcester the first item I would like to draw your attention to is something that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. It's the return of the Worcester Victorian Fair. From Thursday the 29th of November through to Sunday the 2nd of December, the city centre will be buzzing 
as more than 180 market stalls ply their trade and the crowds are entertained by stilt walkers, jugglers and Victorian characters. Definitely not one to miss. From Friday the 23rd of November to Sunday the 25th, members of the Worcestershire Guild of Contemporary Craft will be selling their work in the Henry Sandon Hall at the Royal Porcelain Works. Entry is free. A week today, that will be Thursday the 22nd of November, Stephen Dale Pettit is performing at the Huntington Hall at 7.30pm. Described as the man who has seized the blues guitar baton from Eric Clapton, Peter Green and Jimmy Page, Pettit has sworn to re-establish the blues as a driving force in popular culture. Tickets are £15. On Saturday the 24th of November, also at the Huntington Hall, and again tickets are £15, is a celebration of 60 years of Billy Fury. I don't think he'll be there in person, but (laughs) it's meant to be a very good show. For children, this weekend is uh, the children's play at the Norbury Theatre in Fry Street, Droitwich Spa. It's called Tutu, the Tooth Fairy, by Angela Lanyon. And some listeners may remember that Angela was on one of our magazines when we interviewed her. This is about a little girl called Jenny, and uh, it's all about teeth, basically, but it sounds good fun for sort of children, probably between the ages of three and ten, it says, or everyone else who's young at heart. These little 40-minute plays are performed by adult members of the Norbury Theatre every third Saturday in the month at 2.30pm during February, March, April, May, September, October, November and December. Tickets for this Saturday are 01905 770 154. I hope that there'll be something there that you'll be interested in. So now, um, Phil, can you do the headline stories for us, please? Yes, Pippa, certainly. Um, Last Friday, that's the 9th of November, was Mum's Shame Over Pedo's Son. Saturday gives us nightclub boss forced cocaine on young woman. Monday the 12th, catastrophic. Councillors fear as controversial housing plans return for Middle Middle Batten Hall Farm. Then on Tuesday, car vandals on the rampage. Wednesday, turnaround at City School. And then on Thursday the 15th, that's today of course, City's bungling bingo burglars. Thank you. So, to begin with the first headline, uh, take it away, Catherine. Yes, so Mum's Shame Over Pedo's Son. A mum said she was ashamed of her son after he was sentenced to 12 years in jail for attempting to rape an 11-year-old girl. Joshua Beardmore of Glenthorne Avenue, Worcester, was convicted of attempted rape and sexual assault by penetration at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. The father of one attacked the girl in a city alleyway while he was walking her back to her home in May. Judge Jim Tyndall labelled the 25-year-old a coward who couldn't even have the courage to come to court to face up to what he's done. He added, for all I know, he's sat in his cell pretending it's not happening. Judge Tyndall granted a request by the defendant's mother to speak in court following sentencing yesterday. She said... I'm so ashamed he's done all this to that poor little girl. Beardmore's mother had written a letter of apology to the victim and her mother. 
However, Judge Tyndall insisted that the family were not to blame for Beardmore's actions. Judge Tyndall said Beardmore was in drink when he took advantage of the victim and attacked her in an alleyway near the Goodrest Tavern in Barker Street. The father only stopped when he had a flash of conscience prompting him to question what he'd done, the court heard. Judge Tyndall added he should then have taken responsibility for what he'd done, but on that evening the lies started. He described the lies as ridiculous, offensive and ill-thought-out and praised the victim as an incredibly brave little girl. Jason Aris, defending Beardmore, said his family have attended throughout the trial. They've been deeply upset by what they've heard and they are thoroughly ashamed of his behaviour. As a result of what they've heard, he will certainly be isolated from that family from now on. The only reason they have come to court each and every day is they wanted some finality to this. He also thanked Mark Fletcher, a witness in the trial, who helped the victim after she escaped from Beardmore. Mr Fletcher was getting money out of a cash machine when the young girl approached him and asked for help. He took her into the Barker Street co-op, where staff phoned the police, and then got her mother. Judge Tyndall said, "'He's a good Samaritan.' He may not feel he did very much, but what he did was critical. Detective Constable Alistair Mulcaster, the lead officer in the case, said this was a horrific attack on a young girl who's shown great bravery in reporting the incident and supporting the investigation. There is no doubt in my mind that Beardmore is a danger to young girls and deserves to be behind bars. His actions will have deeply affected the victim and I hope that following this verdict, she and her family feel a sense of justice. Detective Inspector Tony Garner from Worcester CID said, I'd like to pay tribute to the officers involved in this case for the professionalism they've shown in such a sensitive investigation and their dedication to ensuring justice is delivered for the victim. The judge stated that the officers' conduct had been exemplary. I have no doubt the public will be grateful that a dangerous offender has been taken off the streets. Worcester Crown Court sentenced Beardmore to 12 years in prison and six years on licence yesterday. OK, Saturday's headline, Nightclub Boss Quotes Forced Cocaine on Young Woman. Quotes, quotes. A nightclub boss forced cocaine on a young woman before sexually assaulting her because he felt untouchable, a court heard. Club owner Darren Pinches was said by the prosecution to have carried out the alleged sexual assault at Bushwhackers in Worcester after forcing a bag full of cocaine into a woman's face. The 52-year-old of Bromyard Road in Worcester denies administering a substance, brackets cocaine, with intent to stupefy or overpower the complainant to enable him to engage in sexual activity and sexual assault against her on January the 1st last year. He further denies possession of cocaine on January the 13th last year, supplying cocaine between February 9 and 15, 2016, to another woman and offering to supply cocaine to a third woman between September the 3rd and the 5th, 2015. Ben Aner, QC, prosecuting, opened a case to the jury of six men and six women at Warwickshire Justice Centre yesterday, Friday. He told them... It is the prosecution's case that Darren Pinchers was a powerful man. He owned clubs and managed many staff. The incidents you will be concerned with all occurred on his premises. 
The prosecution say he knew he could control the CCTV system within his premises and the Crown say he knew that many members of his staff would be too frightened to cooperate with the police. In short, the prosecution say he thought he was untouchable. Mr Ayner said the first complainant, now 22, was attacked inside a first-floor private office in Bushwhackers as the club was closing at about 5.15am on New Year's Day last year. There was a long queue for the toilet, so two women decided to use one upstairs. She said pinches and the complainant's female friend snorted cocaine. However, the complainant herself refused his alleged offer and felt uncomfortable. The complainant did not want to be left alone with pinches, but her friend, quote, laughed and walked out, closing the door behind her. Mr. Ainus said that Mr. Pinches stood in front of the door and said, you're not going anywhere, sit down. The prosecutor said Pinches then prepared three lines of cocaine, which the complainant pretended she was taking. Pinches, upon realising she was not snorting the Class A drug, is said to have sworn. Mr. Ainus said he grabbed the bag containing the cocaine and forcibly put it over her nose with his hand on the back of her head. She panicked and she inhaled. Pinches was then said to have said, in crude terms, that he wanted to have sex with her. The court heard how the complainant was initially scared to report the matter to police, but was persuaded to do so by her mother, who told her that he might do the same to other girls. The second complainant, also now 22, said that Pinches had been snorting cocaine off an oval mirror in an area known as the Crypt at Bushwhackers. She said she was drunk and had snorted about half a line and was then taken to another of the venues owned by Pinches called The Key, where there was consensual sexual activity. The third woman, now 44, received a message that Pinches needed to speak to her urgently at Brown's in Worcester. She says in a private office, Pinches offered her cocaine, telling her, it's our secret, babe, but she refused. Mr Ainus said she described feeling really odd. She thought either Mr Pinches or someone in his employment had spiked her drink. She said a barman came upstairs and told her that a taxi was ready, which made Pinches angry, and he told him to knock next time. She was confused as she had not ordered a taxi. The complainant believes the barman was trying to stop her being alone with pinches. The woman describes pinches sweeping items off a table and propositioning her for sex before she claimed she needed the toilet and escaped via a fire exit onto South Quay. The prosecution also say traces of cocaine were found on a speaker in the office at Bushwhackers where the alleged sexual assault happened and that Pinches tried to dispose of cocaine by flushing it down the sink at his home at Barclay Gardens, Fernal Heath on January 13th last year when police arrived to arrest him. However, it was recovered, say the prosecution, and found to be of the same rare type as that found on the speaker. It was analysed and said to contain paracetamol and a cattle-worming drug said by the prosecution to be responsible for lesions on the legs of pinches which had been referred to by one of the complainants. The trial continues. This next headline is catastrophic. Councillors fear as controversial housing plans return from Middle Battenhall Farm. Controversial plans to use a historic Green space in the city for new homes could soon be reignited if it's accepted into the council's key housing strategy. Middle Battenhall Farm in Worcester, 
a site already marred by controversy after plans for 200 homes were rejected in 2016 following a two-year battle between the developer, the City Council's planning committee and campaigners could see more homes in the coming years if the site is deemed suitable enough to be included into the South Worcestershire Development Plan, the SWDP. A review of the SWDP, the Council's prime planning strategy, which sets out the city's housing needs and which areas can be developed on, has already begun and landowners across the city, including the owner of Middle Battenhall Farm, answered a call for potential development spots. Councillor Louise Griffiths, who represents Battenhall on the City Council, said it would be catastrophic if the land was handed over for houses in the future and hopes the reaction to build on Middle Batten Hall this time around will garner as a strong reaction as it did before. She said it would be a huge loss of green space, but more than that is the fact that we just don't have the infrastructure to support that number of homes and families. Bus services have been cut particularly along London Road. There are issues with the local hospital and we don't have enough schools. Red Hill is expanding at the moment, but even with that, it still would not be able to cope. I have not heard anything about a new school being built anywhere nearby, and that really needs to be looked at before we even think about building more homes. I'm not against development. We do need new homes in the city, particularly young people who need to be able to buy and afford homes. We need affordable housing and more social housing. With no public transport and no public infrastructure, it would be bad for the local community and bad for the towns and cities. The South Worcestershire Development Plan was adopted in February 2016 and covers overall housing, employment, infrastructure and needs across the three district councils, Worcester City, Witchhaven and Malvern Hills. Following changes to national legislation requiring authorities to update housing need plans every five years, the three councils have agreed to extend the plan until 2041, which means each council will again have to consult and decide on where the new homes could be built. A six-week cons- consultation was launched on November the 5th and will last until December the 17th. The updated SWDP is likely to be published in November 2020 and adopted by the end of 2021. <coughs> Developer Miller Homes ditched controversial attempts to build 200 homes on the site after a long battle with campaigners and the City Council. Councillor Alan Amos, planning chairman at the time of the decision, called it a major victory. In the current SWDP, which was being compiled during the first planning process, Middle Battenhall Farm was left untouched as a green lung for the south of the city. The Council's planning committee twice ignored officer advice by refusing to accept the home bid, with the firm then appealing to inspectors on the grounds of non-determination. A lengthy and costly legal battle could have taken place between the Council and the developer after appeal was lodged 
but Miller-Holmes dramatically pulled out, citing the newly adopted SWDP as the reason for dropping its argument. The plan recorded more than 1,000 public objections. A Worcester City Council spokesman said Middle Battenhall Farm is one of many sites put forward by landowners and developers as potential future locations for housing or employment. These sites have not been proposed for development by the local councils. As part of the next stage of the SWDP review, planning officers will be examining each of these locations to assess how suitable they are and some will be included as proposed development sites in the next stage of the review in 2019. There will be a further consultation on those proposals when residents and other interested can have their say on the sites that have been put forward. And the headline for Tuesday, November the 13th, Car Vandals on the Rampage. A car enthusiast is furious after vandals smashed the windscreens of several cars on his road, including his own pride and joy in broad daylight. Tim Hill's Ford Fiesta was one of three cars to be targeted in Topham Avenue, Warnden Villages, on Saturday morning between 7am and 8.20am. The 22-year-old believes the incident is the tip of the iceberg, with several cars having been stolen in the air recently and teenagers also causing harassment behaviour. Referring to the vandal attacks, he said an an eyewitness, whose car was one of those damaged, told him two teenage boys were jumping on the car's bonnets and smashing the windscreens with their feet. He normally parks the Fiesta on the drive, but had moved it onto the road to allow his parents to get off the drive for work. As well as Mr Hill's blue Fiesta, a yellow Volkswagen Passat and a blue Toyota Yaris were damaged, all within a few yards of each other. He said, I was not particularly happy with what happened, as my Fiesta is my pride and joy. As I am a car enthusiast, I've done a lot of modifications to it, and looking after it and cleaning it, and these lads, whoever they are, just don't care. Mr Hill, yard manager at a city van dealership, paid 9400 for his car and has spent around £600 on modifications. While he only had to get the windscreen replaced, he believes children of that age don't understand how much strain car vandalism can often put on someone's finances. Having reported the incident to police, forensics officers came out and examined footprints left on the car. City Councillor Andrew Roberts, who represents Warnden Parish North, said he saw the aftermath of the vandal attacks on Saturday morning, calling it extremely regretful. He said this type of antisocial behaviour is uncommon in Warnden villages, particularly on a weekend, though there are problems with parking in the week which have left residents frustrated. We have incidents of people getting extremely upset at cars being parked on the road causing congestion. It's an issue we will be addressing with the hospital and Kings Court Business Park. However, he described Saturday's incident as absolutely the exception, having lived at the heart of the community for many years. I have regular meetings with the local police teams here 
It's something we will raise with officers and hopefully find a solution, he added. Anyone with information about the car damage can call police on 101 Crime Reference 22-100199-18. Thank you, Pippa. The headline for Wednesday, November the 14th is Turnaround at City School. Staff and pupils at a Worcester secondary school are celebrating a positive Ofsted report after previously being placed in special measures. Bishop Perone C of E College has been rated as good, the second highest grade overall, by Ofsted following an inspection last month. This follows the Merriman's Hill Road School being placed in special measures in February last year after an inadequate rating from inspectors. Head teacher Mark Pollard said, Everyone at Bishop Perone is delighted at being rated as a good school. We were confident that the changes we were implementing at the time of our previous inspection would be transformative and the rapid improvement is testament to how all staff, students, governors and parents have worked together to achieve the best for our students. As in all reports, Ofsted has made suggestions about areas that can be developed further and we're all committed to ensuring every Bishop Perone student receives a high standard of education. Inspectors visited the school on October the 16th and 17th and said significant improvement had been made in the school's leadership, teaching, personal development and outcomes for pupils. The report stated, Since 2017, leaders have improved every aspect of the school. They've ensured that the curriculum is appropriate, flexible and meets pupils' needs. The school is now a calm and purposeful place. Pupils are consistently respectful to one another and to staff. Provision for groups who have previously underachieved has improved. As a result, disadvantaged pupils, those with low prior attainment and those who have special educational needs and or disabilities, has improved. As a result of this, inspectors were satisfied that the school no longer required special measures, which is the term Ofsted uses when an establishment is monitored in order to see rapid and substantial improvement. The inspection did find <coughs> that literacy and numeracy teaching in tutorial time was not as effective as it could be and that too few pupils who attend alternative provision are integrated back into school. Final recommendations in the Ofsted report included increasing the proportion of pupils attending alternative provision who are reintegrated back into school. Also recommended was to continue to improve disadvantaged pupils' progress in mathematics, improve the teaching of literacy and numeracy in form time by ensuring that non-specialist teachers have the skills to pitch tasks to pupils' needs as well as monitoring the impact of these sessions on pupils' literacy and numeracy. The last of our headline stories for this week is City's Bungling Bingo Burglars, Police Dog Finds Raiders. A pair of bungling burglars were caught red-handed by a police dog while they were hiding in the rafters of a city bingo hall after a raid on fruit machines. The burglary at Majestic Bingo in Derwent Close, Worcester, has cost the business thousands of pounds. 
Police rushed to the scene after the criminal set off the property's intruder alarm at around 3am on Monday. It's believed the men smashed a window to get into the bingo hall and used tools to crack open 14 fruit machines before stealing cash from inside them. The two men then apparently tried to hide from officers in the gap between the building's air conditioning vents and the ceiling. However, a police dog sniffed them out and they were arrested at the scene. A West Mercia police spokesman said officers were called to an intruder alarm and located the suspects who tried to escape with the help of a dog unit. Some important commas there, I think. The force spokesman added that police officers found a large amount of loose change in a backpack at the scene. Up to 12 officers attended. A similar raid at the club happened in 2014 when burglars once again broke into the site through a window. They targeted more than a dozen gaming machines on that occasion and made off with thousands of pounds. Charles McManus, aged 48, and Troy Jenkins, aged 44, both from Pelham Road, Nottingham, pleaded guilty to burglary at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Tuesday. They will be sentenced at Worcester Crown Court on December 14th. This comes from Tuesday, November the 13th. A girl grab, man freed. Police have released a man arrested in relation to an incident in which a 12-year-old girl was allegedly grabbed near a Worcester high school. No charges have been brought against the 32-year-old in connection to the incident that began in Merriman's Hill Road and continues to St George's Lane North Bridge. Police say the 12-year-old was walking along the road with two friends, pupils of the nearby Bishop Perone C of E College, when an unknown man pulled up next to them in his car at 5.30pm last Thursday. The friend managed to free her from his clutches and they fled, along with another friend, to another friend's house. A West Mercia police spokesman said the 32-year-old man who was arrested after the incident has since been released under investigation with no charges made. We remain open-minded as to the motive behind the incident, the spokesman said. We're considering further evidence in terms of CCTV and witnesses. A dedicated CID detective is investigating and police added it was being treated as an isolated incident at this stage with no further reports of suspicious activity in the area since. Door-to-door inquiries were also carried out in the area over the weekend. On the Worcester News Facebook page, Georgina Robinson posted, If anyone has any information, please get in touch. Any witnesses from around the bridge area who remember seeing two girls around or a suspicious red car, it would be great. I know there was a man at the time on his phone who noticed the girls and asked if they were okay. So, if we can find this man, that would help a lot. It makes me so angry that someone thinks they can get away with this, but thank God the girls are safe but shook up. Anyone with information can call police on 101, quoting Incident 619S. As um, our readers will no doubt be aware, it was Armistice Sunday on uh, the 11th, and there were a lot of articles in this week's papers concentrating on the commemorations that took place across Worcester. And we will be reading some extracts from various um, different 
editorials and articles. And I'm going to begin with one with a slightly different slant, which is about the city Poles, the Polish people in our city, and the way that they were commemorating uh, the end of the Great War. It has a slightly different sort of take. So this appeared on Tuesday's paper. The Worcestershire Polish Association has commemorated and celebrated 100 years of independence with the community. On Sunday, November the 11th, the Worcestershire Polish Association honoured Remembrance Day at the Guildhall. Talking about the event, Tomasz Wisniewski, 38, founder of the Worcestershire Polish Association, said, November the 11th is Armistice Day, but also coincides with the date of Polish independence. This year is especially significant as it marks our, centen our centenary. Therefore, it was a day of great pride for us as Poles, but also enabled us to show respect as we remember all those who lost their lives in war. We celebrated Remembrance Day together with our British friends and showed our solidarity and respect to the Worcester British Veteran Club. The Polish 100th anniversary is a very special day for us. As there was slavery in Poland, Poland for 120 years, the end of World War I marked the beginning of independence. The Worcestershire Polish Association posted on Facebook, Our project was aimed to provide 100 croissants, 100 muffins, 100 flyers and 100 flags for the 100th anniversary. The project served reconciliation of Polish history while offering the community the taste of Polish cuisine. The day was met with an incredibly warm interest from the local community. Thank you all for your help, commitment and interest. Independence Day is a national day in Poland celebrated on November the 11th to commemorate the anniversary of the restoration of Poland's power as the state was re-established in 1918 from the German, Austrian and Russian empires. Mr. Wisniewski added... Worcestershire Polish Association has been established since January this year. It was created to show our culture, our integrity with the British community and to help businesses. Um, another story about um, Remembrance Sunday um, concerns a very well-known local figure. Uh, it's headlined Woodbine Willie Tribute. Um, and there are some very touching photographs of a ceremony that's described in the article. A service was held on Sunday to pay respects to a priest and poet who gave emotional support to troops in the First World War and became a well-known figure in the area. Reverend Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy from Worcester was the parish vicar at St Paul's in the Blockhouse Church. He was an army chaplain and was known as Woodbine Willie as he was known to hand out Woodbine cigarettes to the troops. His time at war on the front line earned him the military cross and he went on to become the personal chaplain to King George V before his death in 1929. Canon Paul Tongue led the service at St John's Cemetery where Reverend Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy was buried. A photo and a box of Woodbine cigarettes was laid by the Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy Memorial. Mayor of Worcester, Jabba Riaz, and Alan Poyner, chair of Worcester's branch of the British Legion, laid wreaths of poppies. Mr Poyner said, It was a nice, short service, and is more poignant this year, given the centenary going on. We've done it for a good few years, and hopefully it will continue.' 
He was such a well-known figure amongst the troops. He was there, in a way, to keep their spirits up, and he did a tremendous job of it. Mr Poyner also attended the remembrance service at Worcester Cathedral yesterday. He said the whole thing was very thought-provoking. It will be 90 years next year since Reverend Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy died, and Canon Paul Tongue said there will be another special occasion to mark this event. I've got two articles for you on the Remembrance uh, Sunday events. The first one looks at events across the two counties and gives us a summary of them. Hundreds turn out to pay their respects at services. Remembrance Sunday was celebrated with moving services held across the county. Remembrance Day fell on Armistice Day, which also commemorated the centenary of the end of the First World War. Hundreds of people gathered outside Worcester Cathedral and down the High Street, ready for the traditional act of remembrance at the War Memorial at 10am, followed by a service and a two-minute silence at 11. After the silence, poppies were fired out of a cannon over the crowds, and the service was followed by a military parade down the High Street, ending at the Guild Hall. Right Reverend Dr John Inge, Bishop of Worcester, said after the service, I think it is wonderful that so many people came to commemorate this really significant and poignant anniversary. At the service, we gave thanks, and I pray that there will be peace. Cadet Warrant Officer James Warrington, 19, a Lord Lieutenant Cadet, said, I thought it was fantastic, really good, a nice act of remembrance for the 100-year anniversary of World War I. Staff Sergeant Major Baxter of the Stourbridge Cadets, 17, said the poppies coming out of the cannon was a nice part and the ceremony in the cathedral was very moving. A service and parade took place at St John's Church in Worcester with the second Worcester Cubs taking part in the parade. A parade from Great Malvern Library to Great Malvern Priory took place before the service at the War Memorial in Malvern Priory Church. After the service was a wreath-laying ceremony at the library. Malvern Town Council, along with the Remembrance Committee and Malvern Museum, has a special field of remembrance in the grounds of the library, which is being held until November 15th. Members of the public will be invited to plant wooden crosses to remember the fallen. In Ledbury, the community held a service in the town centre, where there was a knitted poppy display. Reverend Bill Mackenzie, Ledbury's Royal British Legion chaplain, led the service and Councillor Liz Harvey laid a wreath on behalf of Herefordshire Council. In Evesham, the Royal British Legion met at the Market Square and then paraded to the War Memorial for a service. Tim George, who attended the service, said, It was very well attended and respectful. The two-minute silence was immaculately observed. The local MP was also present. Droitwich also celebrated with a well-attended service with wreath-laying in the town centre. And the next um, piece is about the Rickshaw Challenge. Malvern residents came out in their hundreds to welcome the BBC One's show's Rickshaw Challenge on Tuesday night. A chilly autumn evening did not deter crowds from flocking to the top of Church Street where the junction with Abbey Road was cordoned off and filled with TV technicians getting ready for the live transmission. Six young people, all of whom have been supported by BBC Children in Need funded projects, are taking part in the eight-day rickshaw challenge which started on Friday in Calais. Tuesday's stage started at the Royal Wootton Bassett in Wiltshire and the six participants pedalled 56 miles to reach Malvern. Before the riders arrived, 
Children in Need mascot Pugsy Bear entertained the crowd to the delight of young children who shouted out his name, while owners of Morgan's sports car turned up to make the occasion special. The rickshaw riders were given a hero's welcome by spectators who cheered them loudly as they were interviewed by one show presenter, Matt Baker, and told the stories of how they overcame their problems. Matt Baker said it was amazing arriving in Morven. Myself and Team Rickshaw would like to extend a huge thanks to the local people for coming out and cheering us on. This challenge runs on generosity and it really does make all the difference and spurs us on to keep pedalling. The following morning, the challenge set out for its next stop, Blist's Hill near Ironbridge, on its way to its ultimate destination at Salford on Friday. As part of the rickshaw challenge, staff from Morven Hills and which and Witchhaven District Council took to their bicycles to raise up to £200 for children in need. Councillor David Chambers, leader of the Morven Hills District Council, said this is a great way to show our support to a wonderful charity that helps so many. A Christmas tree, which has been a target for vandals in previous years, will have a fence to protect it this year. The fir tree on St John's Roundabout was put up by Worcester City Council yesterday afternoon, that was on Monday the 12th. A fence is going to be put in place and the council is looking into the possibility of CCCTV as a measure to deter vandals. Over the next 10 days, the Christmas lights will be installed on the tree ahead of the big switch-on. Last year, the appearance of the tree was heavily criticised. However, the sorry sight was due to vandals who targeted the giant festive decoration. They ripped the lights from the tree, causing damage to them as well as the branches. The tree was damaged on November the 25th, just two days after the lights were switched on, and then again on December the 7th. Both vandalism attacks caused outrage in the community, with residents calling the vandals mindless and scrooges. As a result of the vandalism, the council had to pay hundreds of pounds for the repairs, which required specialist equipment on the busy roundabout. Councillor Lucy Hodgson chairman of the council's Place and Economic Development subcommittee, said at the time, It is very disappointing that mindless vandals have attacked the beautiful lighting on the tree. This year's tree is from Real Christmas Trees in Solihull. Last year it was from a company in Lysington near Molfen. Here's a story um, from Monday uh, with the headline 1937 Barrows Found. A Barrows... Worcester Journal, dated back to 1937, has mysteriously been found in a property. Anna Hocking from Worcester was having an extension put on her house when the building firm Bespoke Buildings and Landscapes discovered a front page to an old newspaper underneath the floorboards. In addition to the front page, four cigarette packets were also retrieved. Mrs Hocking said each packet was found in a different room of the house. She believes the previous tenant has deliberately left these belongings to be later discovered. She said, we were amazed with the discovery. It's our little treasure and history of the house. The newspaper, priced at one penny, has been pressed gently using an iron, which the family will frame as a memento. They're hoping to replace the objects found with their own symbolic value for a future tenant to find.
Mrs. Hocking added, It would be nice to think if someone is doing something to the house in years to come, they'll find some historic object of who the house used to belong to. It would be lovely for a future family to find a time capsule of previous tenants who lived here. I found it fascinating reading the articles. Some of the stories in the paper were international, which is strange when you compare stories of the Worcester news today and the fact they're all local. Worcester has always mentioned it has one of the oldest established newspapers, and here you can fully appreciate its worth. The first thing I noticed was font style. It truly reflects the age of the paper. The family have been at their home for eight years and have been uncertain about how old the property is. Mrs Hocking said, There's always been uncertainty regarding how old the house is. This newspaper has confirmed it's a 1930s property. Right, uh, and now an article having a look at how certain schools in the locality marked the 100th anniversary of the armistice. A school held a remembrance event to its students and local community with moving performances of dance, music, poetry and readings. Students from Nunnery Wood High in Spetchley Road on Friday, November the 9th put together a variety of performances in commemoration of Remembrance Day. Dancers choreographed three pieces telling the story of soldiers leaving for war, receiving letters from home and the effect on their families. Year 8 students told the story of a returned memorial cross of a fallen soldier. Alfred Perry from Bromsgrove um, had a cross that was found discarded near the recycling centre in Worcester by PE teacher and former serviceman Mr Bannister. Readings were written and delivered by Year 11 students on what remembrance and the centenary mean to them today. Members of the cadets attended in uniform to welcome guests to be a part of the event. Following the performance element of the evening, hundreds of pieces of artwork that students had created in their art lessons and as a homework project were exhibited along with academic pieces produced in history and English lessons. The event ended a week of remembrance at the school. Assemblies were delivered to all year groups about the significance of the centenary and the wider meaning of remembrance. B. Speechley, assistant head teacher who organised the remembrance evening, said... World War I has impacted the lives of all of us in one way or another, and we wanted to give students the chance to acknowledge the sacrifices made. It is also an opportunity for students to understand the effects of subsequent wars and to pay tribute in a way that they feel appropriate. So many of the students brought in photos, artefacts and stories of relatives involved in the conflict. They showed genuine enthusiasm and interest in learning more about World War I and Remembrance. It has proven that the issues are still significant to the younger generation. The students wanted to express their thanks to those who gave their lives or survived the horrors of the conflict, despite the fact that it had slipped from living memory. More schools who have commemorated the 100 years since the end of the First World War are the de Montfort School and St Richard's School C of E First School in Evesham. Both schools held a service where students formed the shape of 100, with the circles being in the shape of two poppies, as a mark of respect to everyone who had died in conflicts around the world. Parents, relatives, friends and governors from both schools attended the service. The head boy and head girl read the names of the Bengeworth fallen, and poems were read alongside a two-minute silence. Student cadets representing the forces were in full uniform and laid a wreath. Elsewhere, pupils from Abberley Hall School created a stunning cascading poppy display from the school bell tower, featuring 7,000 ceramic poppies made by students, staff, 
parents and members of the local community. And now back to crime. Chainsaw raid on the Class A drugs den. Police carried out an early morning raid on an alleged junk drugs den, cutting down the door with a chainsaw. Acting on information that a house in Ploughman's Rise, Droitwich, was being used by a dealer in the supply of Class A drugs, officers executed a warrant at its 7.30am on Tuesday. Rapid entry was gained into the address by specialist officers using a chainsaw to cut through the front door before, before it was bashed open with an enforcer. It is believed a drug dealer, who was not in the property at the time, was operating as part of a sprawling narcotics distribution model known as County Lines. PC Richard Rees from the Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood team said a quantity of drugs were found during the the search. He said digital evidence, which will be examined for evidence of drug dealing, was also located at the property, adding that inquiries are ongoing. PC Rees went on to warn any drug dealers that the police will continue to crack down on the supply of illegal substances. Any addresses suspected of dealing drugs or housing dealers will be targeted, he said. As well as any potential criminal proceedings, we will also work with housing associates to evict people involved in this type of criminality. Operation Blade, launched at the end of September last year, has already seen more than 100 arrests made in connection with county lines dealing. The scheme's aim is to cut the supply of Class A drugs from larger cities like Birmingham into smaller cities and county towns like Worcester and Droitwich. At the start of the operation, over 10 days in November last year, officers raided three drug dens in Droitwich, resulting in numerous arrests and one closure order. Speaking earlier this year, Witchhaven's sergeant, uh, Sarah Kent, said... If you deal drugs from your home address, then we will do our very best to make sure you lose your home address. Any suspected drug dealing should be reported to 101. Well, back to a sort of Christmas story. Allotment, maybe a Christmas alternative. Worcester Allotment Forum is encouraging local people to consider an alternative Christmas present for their loved ones, renting an allotment. Having an allotment is a great way of getting some regular exercise, meeting people, and you'll be enjoying all the physical and mental health benefits of being outdoors too, said Peter Parry, chairman of the Worcester Allotment Forum. And on top, you'll have the pleasure of growing your own fresh produce, which beats anything you would buy in the supermarket. There are over 25 allotment sites available across the city, with plots available at several including Bromwich Road, Green Lane, Old Northwick Lane and Hilborough. Renting a plot is very affordable. A full plot, one sixteenth of an acre, costs just £59 a year and a half a plot, which is an ideal size for weekend gardeners, costs just £29.50 a year. Existing plot holders were recently celebrated at the recent Worcester City Allotment Competition. The event, which was held at the Guildhall on October the 3rd, saw 240 tenants from 23 Worcester City Council allotment sites 
pit their gardening skills against one another in an attempt to gain the coveted trophies for best full plot, best half plot, best polytunnel or greenhouse, best new tenant with a full plot, best new tenant with a half plot, and the overall best site. The plots were initially assessed by the forum's own Dan Robb against Royal Horticultural Society criteria, with eminent RHS judge Bill Simpson ranking the 40 best finalists. The next story is entitled It's All in the Stilettos. A fighting spirit, hard work and a good pair of stiletto heels are a great-grandmother's secret to reaching 104. Nora Harris celebrated her milestone birthday at Sanctuary Care's Juniper House Residential Care Home in St John's, Worcester, surrounded by friends and family. When asked her secret to reaching 104, Mrs Harris said, Hard work. It's not always been easy, but I've just got on with it and feel happy to be celebrating my birthday. The most enjoyable parts of my life so far have been having the children. Nora's daughter, Meryl Bradshaw, said, I know it sounds funny, but she wore stiletto heels until she was 65. She was always clipping around in them. She used to walk down the hill to work at 5.30 in the morning, waking up the neighbours because there was no double glazing, and then back up the hill afterwards. Everybody knew who it was because you could hear her coming, but it kept her fit. In 1936, Nora met husband-to-be Arthur. They had two daughters, Meryl and Patricia. Patricia died several years ago, nine months before her son, William, passed away. During the Second World War, Arthur was killed in service in 1945 on the border of Germany and Holland when Meryl was just two years old. Meryl said of her mum's fighting spirit, (coughs) she's feisty. Because of the hard life she's had, she's had to get on with it. When she got the telegram to say my dad had been killed, she knew she was going to have to go to work because the government only gave widows ten shillings a week and she had a mortgage to pay. She did have it tough and had to work all her life. Nora spent most of her life working in factories in Birmingham before she moved to Droitwich to be closer to Merrill. Speaking about how proud she feels of her mother, Merrill added, We're all very proud of her, and very much amazed. She's tough as old boots and as bright as a button and full of life. Manager at the home, Cindy Hawkins, commented, Nora is a huge character in our home. She is such a witty and remarkable lady and we're honoured to be celebrating this special birthday with her. That's nice. Tom Jones' funeral held. This is from Saturday's newspaper. The funeral of Tom Jones was held yesterday. The 18-year-old's body was discovered in the River Severn on September the 28th following a major search after the University of Worcester student went missing. Thomas's family, including parents Ian and Vicky, were set to attend the Bromsgrove Teenagers' funeral which took place at Redditch Crematorium yesterday afternoon. Thousands of people helped the search for Tom with a large poster and social media campaign. After the death was confirmed, a vigil was held on Sunday, September the 30th, and tributes, including bunches of flowers, were laid on Sabrina Bridge and along the river. Worcestershire County Council later announced a memorial to him is to be created at the Sabrina Bridge as part of refurbishment works next year. 
His friend, Harley Hetherington, who grew up with Tom and was studying primary initial teacher education at the university, was also set to attend the funeral. Harley created the Find Jonah Facebook group and coordinated the public efforts to find Tom after he went missing in Worcester just before 4am on Wednesday, September the 19th. The Facebook page was later renamed Remember Jonah, with tributes posted. Tom was also a youth player with Bromsgrove Sporting and a memorial match for him in October was attended by 1,600 people with £7,000 raised for Tom's family. Writing on Facebook about the funeral, Beth Farmer said, Thoughts are with all Tom's family and friends today. Elaine Roberts said, Thinking of you all. Tara Gurney said, Be thinking of you all, RIP. And Claire Pinches said, Thoughts are with his family. Ellie Lane added, Thoughts go to his family and friends at this time. The teenager's death is currently being treated as unexplained, with the inquest initially opened and immediately adjourned on October 3rd. The inquest hearing into his death has been set for January 22nd next year at Worcester Corridors Court in Starport. This is about the, um, the batch of students graduating from the University of Worcester, and they graduated on Thursday, November the 8th. So the third batch of students graduated from the university on that day and day three also saw honorary doctorates given to Space Travel Authority, Dr Laurie Leshin, and Holocaust survivor Mindu Hornick. Dr Leshin is a recipient of the NASA Outstanding Leadership Medal as well as its Distinguished Public Service Medal, having held various positions with the independent agency. She was also appointed by Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush to advisory boards for the Smithsonian Museum and Space Exploration Policy. Other achievements include having an asteroid named after her, while she is currently President of the Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts, USA. Ms. Hornick was sent to Auschwitz concentration camp in 1942 at the age of 12, where she lied about her age so that she was allocated work rather than being sent to the gas chambers. Having lived in the West Midlands for 50 years, she has spent the last 15 years devoted to educating hundreds of schools and universities about the Holocaust. The achievements of more than 3,800 of the university's students are being celebrated throughout this week. Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive Professor David Green said our graduates of 2018 join an illustrious community of over 100,000 Worcester graduates who have made and are making an immense contribution to British society. The Country House Hotel is celebrating 40 years in business this month. Course Lawn House Hotel has been run by the Hine family since its launch in 1978. Baba Hine, the owner and proprietor of the Grade 2 listed hotel in Eldersfield on the edge of the Malvern Hills, said, Course Lawn House is a very special place to us and we are thrilled to have shared so many special occasions with both our guests and team over the years many of whom have been with us for almost the entire 40 years. So many friends made and wonderful parties of all kinds remembered. The, the hotel has been and continues to be 
the place for bringing a touch of extra special to the everyday, as well as a place to celebrate marriages, special occasions and, rumour has it, the odd royal engagement too. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our team who work tirelessly in serving our guests and whose efforts have been key to the hotel's success. In 1978, Baba and her husband Dennis bought the hotel and moved in as a family with their 10-year-old son Giles and a menagerie of family pets. The hotel's appeal was not only its location, sitting on the green of a picturesque countryside common, but also its huge potential. From the modest restaurant with conference rooms that the hotel once was, the Hine family have transformed Course Lawn House into a 20-bedroom hotel. However, the hotel remained a family home, and Baba said, It is the place and people that matter. My long-serving team and the camaraderie and humour shared is what makes Course Lawn tick. We have garnered a faithful following of guests, some of whom have been coming here since our first days here and now visit with their own children and even grandchildren. A 40th dinner took place on Saturday, November the 10th. So happy birthday to all of them. (laughs) And this is about a fundraising cycle ride to (coughs) Paris. Thousands have been raised for St Richard's Hospice in memory of a keen cyclist. Keith Stoneham from Fernal Heath had cancer and was cared for by the St Richard's Hospice community team before his death in 2017. Earlier this year, Stuart Summers and Ian Smith of the city's Elgar Cycles and Worcester Cycle Centre decided to take on the tough London to Paris cycling challenge in memory of the 48-year-old who was a regular customer. The ride saw Mr Smith cycle 342 miles from capital to capital in temperatures reaching 42 degrees centigrade. Although Mr Summers was unable to join following injury in a cycling accident before the challenge. More than £7,000 was raised for the hospice. Mr Summers said it's a great pleasure to have contributed to raising so much money for such a great cause. I only hear outstanding reports about the care given by St Richard's Hospice and going forward this will be my chosen charity due to this. The £7,000 grand total included a generous donation from Helen Stone raised from the sale of her husband's bikes at Worcester Cycle Centre. We'd like to thank Helen for supporting the effort in donating £4,000 from the sales of Keith's bikes, Mr Summers said. We'd also like to thank friends, family and customers of both shops for their generous support. Mrs Stoneham added, A nurse visited on a weekly basis and her support was fantastic for both of us. Together with the hospice's community consultant, she was able to get Keith's pain under control and she really made a huge difference to how he coped with his terminal diagnosis. Keith particularly found her great to talk to. It's hard for me to put into words what a great help she was. Alongside the care provided to people at home through its community nursing team and hospice at home services, St Richard's Hospice also supports patients and loved ones at its site in Wildwood Drive, Worcester.
St Richard's Hospice provides free specialist palliative and end-of-life care for patients living with life-limiting illnesses and supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,300 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. St Richard's is an independent charity and relies on donations for three-quarters of its annual £8.8 million income, with the remainder from the NHS. The charity has launched the Build 2020 appeal, which aims to raise the final £1.4 million needed to build a bigger hospice, with the whole project costing £5.3 million in total. More than £200,000 was raised through the Worcester Stand's Tall Giraffe Sculptures project in the summer for the charity, which we've covered a lot in Talking Newspaper. We did, and we remember mm. them well, don't we? Yes. We do. This is one of Mike Price's articles looking back on some local history. The news last week that the popular party cruiser, the Earl, had sunk in Worcester's Diglis Basin was hardly the first time a boat had come to grief there. Notwithstanding the problems the Vikings encountered when they came raiding up the river, a quartet of fellow journalists almost sank without trace 38 years ago. They were from Belgium, not Worcester, which might explain their lack of navigational skills on the Severn, but having said that, I cannot think of four local hacks I would trust in a boat in a bath, let alone on a swift-flowing waterway. The tourists got into trouble in early November 1980 as they tried to turn near Diglis Island and the current swept them over the nearby weir. Fortunately, help was at hand in the shape of tugboat workers, where would they be now, who pulled them to safety from the stricken, uh, the stricken vessel called the Rumsey. It ended up sinking, but it was refloated in the most ingenious fashion. Divers forced a giant balloon into the cabin and this was inflated using a high-pressure pump and the boat rose with it. Diglis is where the Worcester-Birmingham Canal meets the Severn and has been an important location for centuries. It was originally conceived as a major inland commercial port for Worcester and it was the forward-looking City Council of 1890 which first proposed the construction of Diglis Lock. At the time, the Cardiff Dock authorities actively supported the scheme as a means of cutting their costs by sending goods to the Midlands by water instead of by rail. But the crafty Welshman used the proposed project as a negotiating weapon to reduce rail haulage tariffs and then backed out of the Diglis scheme. Even so, the City Council pressed ahead with it in 1892 and the dock, measuring 318 feet by 115, was completed in 1894. For decades, it was a huge white elephant, but it came dramatically to life in the 1930s and the war years when there was a boom in river haulage. One person who knew the basin in its heyday was Dennis Watton, who lived in the tollkeeper's house beside the Outer Canal Basin for 26 years before retiring as toll clerk in 1960. During his 54 years working on canals and rivers, Dennis saved 24 people from drowning. But sadly, he had gone two decades before the lads from Brussels had their spot of bother. And this is an article about um, mental health. Saved by friends after suicide post. A bipolar patient who had attempted suicide after writing a goodbye message on Facebook has said more needs to be done to address mental health problems. Former university student Victoria Hayes has spoken about her own experiences after more than man Will Evans' apparent suicide last week 
after also posting on the social media site. The 47-year-old attempted to take her own life last summer, but was saved by friends who spotted her post and alerted the emergency services. They were banging on my door. Luckily, I hadn't passed out, she explained. I was taken into the ambulance and woke up in hospital the next day. Mrs Hayes had moved back to the UK from the USA after the death of her mum before being diagnosed with bipolar disorder in March last year. She said around the time of her suicide attempt she was hypomanic and had been released from a psychiatric ward the previous day. I was released too soon. I was struggling and just felt no one was listening, she continued. She said the attempt on her life was a wake-up call she'd needed and has continued to battle to take a hold on her condition. I think what's important for people who are feeling suicidal is remembering that it will pass, so not trying to fix it with something so permanent. She said mental health problems don't discriminate and can impact anybody at all, walks of life, rich or poor. You don't need necessarily to know someone is struggling and it can be hard to speak up. That stereotype of the mad cat lady isn't the case most of the time. It's the struggle inside. Mrs Hayes, who now lives in Stoke, said her bipolar diagnosis was a relief because it allowed her to understand what was wrong and put a label on it, but it wasn't a solution. I wish I'd embraced it earlier. Me, medicated and not, is like night and day. The doctors are still tweaking my medication and working things out, but there's a world of difference between me now and then. She said I'm a lot more in charge of myself and can recognise the triggers. When my body is sick, I can do things to stop it. If I'm feeling hypomanic, the best thing I can do is to do nothing, not even watch TV, nothing that will get my brain excited. Referring to Mr Evans, Mrs Hayes said, men are more at risk of going through suicide. A lot of that is still because there's so much shame about having depression if you're a man. It's seen as a weakness to ask for help, and I hope that can change. It's a strength, really. It takes a lot of courage to ask for help. Referring to her own suicide attempts, she said, I survived, and I'm happy I did. There are other days I wish it had worked out, but a bigger part of me is glad I survived. And to conclude the general news stories, this is one from um, about a woman's plea for gifts for homeless. And after this, Catherine will take, on, uh, take over with the sport. A carer has launched a project aiming to provide the city's homeless with gift boxes this Christmas. Emily Griffin has formed the Bring Christmas to the Homeless project where she hopes to deliver 70 boxes filled with gifts to the people who will be on the streets during the festive season. The 26-year-old contacted the Worcestershire Homeless Appeal and was told that there are approximately 60 men and 10 homeless women in Worcester. Miss Griffin, from Worcester, said, Something triggered me to start this project. There's always more that can be done to support the community. I'm chuffed. The project is going really well. It made me realise how lucky I am and that I have so much for which to be grateful. It has opened my eyes and has encouraged me to look at things differently. It has also made me wonder where the homeless go and what they do at Christmas. On Saturday, December the 22nd, Miss Griffin will be handing out the gifts at the old fire station 
in Copenhagen Street, where the homeless have their food. Miss Griffin is looking for donations to help towards building the gift boxes. She's appealing for toiletries, blankets, warm clothing, individually wrapped food, boxes of Christmas crackers, sleeping bags and books. Miss Griffin added, I want everyone to have something. The gifts will cater for everyone. The idea is for the boxes to be festive, but also practical. I've been overwhelmed by all the support received so far. The amount of people that want to get involved has been incredible. It just shows how many want to help the homeless community. Miss Griffin will also be providing bags of essentials for the dogs owned by the homeless. Thank you, Pippa. Right, well, we're moving on to sport now. And the first story is about rugby at Worcester Warriors. I feel free after my switch. Williams. Energetic, loose forward Matty Williams is delighted to have been unleashed from set-piece responsibilities and given the freedom to express himself. After six years of trying to learn the dark arts of the scrum and how to perfect his line-out throw as a hooker, Williams is back in his favourite position at flanker and is loving every minute of it. The South African-born player will line up in the number seven shirt tomorrow, that is, uh, last Sunday, when Worcester Warriors visit Saracens in the Premiership Cup and has vowed to bring oodles of energy to the side. And this is what he has to say. It's difficult to make a positional change, but it's easier for me to move from hooker, where you've got more responsibilities, like throwing and scrummaging, Williams said. Now I've just got to play the game. I really enjoy it a lot more as I've got the freedom to express myself. Williams grew up playing as a back rower before being switched to the front row when at Northampton Saints. The 27-year-old said he put his heart and soul into making the transition as he aimed to climb up the hooker pecking order at Saints and then Worcester. But when Warriors chief Alan Solomons told him he reckoned his skills were better suited in the back row, Williams grabbed the opportunity with both hands. I thought I could probably get ahead in my career by moving to hooker because I'm not the tallest of guys, so line-out options aren't great for me, he said. I tried my luck, but now I'm back at flanker, which is exciting. You handle the ball a bit more, so you're freer. With previous Warriors coaches using him in both positions, Williams, who arrived at Six Ways in 2016, struggled to nail down a place in the team. Last season saw Williams make just three outings, and he appeared to be on his way out until July, when Worcester announced he'd agreed a one-year extension. But he admitted his talks with straight-shooter Solomons over his future were, quote, always based on staying and competing for the open-side flanker spot. It was a bit stop-start last season, Williams said. I got a few injuries and was struggling at hooker. My throwing wasn't as accurate as it should have been. I broke my hand and had a few other injuries. I have a clear mind being back at flanker and enjoying rugby and everything about this season, which is going well. Williams produced a man-of-the-match show in Worcester's European Challenge Cup victory over Rossbury's last month, but knows he's got a lot of work to do to get into the Premiership side. Some South African sunshine now. Milton shining in South Africa spell. 
Alex Milton has made a fine start to his second spell with Claremont in South Africa this winter. The Worcestershire wicketkeeper batsman already has a 50 and a century to his name for the Cape Town-based club. Milton scored 54 not out versus Western Province in a Western Province Cricket Association Premier League fixture, although he ended up on the losing side. The Blackfinch New Road Academy product followed that up by hitting an unbeaten 102 in the victory against Belleville. Milton's efforts have helped Claremont make a successful start to the season, winning three of their four opening fixtures in the 50-over-a-side competition. He is also combining his two-month stint with Claremont by working during the week at the Gary Kirsten Academy. Milton signed a new three-year contract with Worcestershire last month and was a regular member of the side in the Specsavers County Championship Division 1 during the second half of last summer. He will return home shortly before Christmas and then join back up with Worcestershire for pre-season work at Malvern College in January after the festive break. And now on to basketball. Head coach Ty Shaw believes Worcester Wolves are starting to turn a corner ahead of their daunting trip to British Basketball League High Flyers Newcastle Eagles tonight, which is November the 9th, um, at 7.30. Bottom club Worcester ended their seven-match losing streak with a 90-81 BBL Cup triumph at London City Royals last Saturday. Shaw said it was not a perfect performance, but could be reckoned the victory could be a turning point in their season as they looked to climb the table. I would not say there was relief, but there was excitement at getting a reward for the hard work they've put in, Shaw said. We're finally starting to see a turn in the corner and figuring out how to play with each other and getting things done as a group. That's important. We had some situations where a couple of fouls were called and guys had to sit down, so we had to adjust the plan. But the players did a fantastic job at not dropping their heads and were competitive from start to finish. Shaw has now encouraged his players to go to Newcastle with the same fighting mentality that saw them register only their second win of the season. Wolves languish at the foot of the table, while Eagles sit at third position with five victories in their past seven games. But Newcastle lost 86-73 at Bristol Flyers last weekend, and Shaw Houghton's hopes his side can pull off another upset in the league. It's a long trip to face a tough, well-coached team, so there's nothing easy about it, Shaw said. But we've just told our guys to embrace the challenge. I'm sure a few people looked past us when we went down to London, but we really came together and put out a good performance on the night. Newcastle is the next challenge for us. The good and bad thing about basketball is that you've got to have a short-term memory, so you've got to forget what you did and focus on the next thing. Newcastle definitely present a very tough challenge, but we have to rise to the occasion, go with a fighting mentality and see what we can get done. Forward Deshaun Freeman is set to make his debut at Eagles and will hope to improve Wolves' rebounding that has been an issue this term. I think Deshaun will help us around the glass as he is a pretty dynamic athlete and will give us some different options defensively, Shaw said. But the biggest thing is that he's another guy with experience as he's played at a really good level. He will also allow other guys to play more natural roles and help us to fully gel as a team in the positions that they should be in. So here's a football story with a slight difference. It's about 
a youngster. Worcester wonder kid Harley Irish is shooting for the stars after signing for Aston Villa's academy. The 10-year-old Cherry Orchard primary school pupil, who turns 11 on Christmas Day, has been snapped up after standing out during a weekly stint at Villa's development centre. It sees the up-and-coming left-back's dream turn into reality, having attended the advanced centre at Wolves before six weeks on trial at West Bromwich Albion. Mum Jane Irish said he'd been playing for Worcester City for the past two seasons after starting out with Nunnery Wood. She said Aston Villa has a development centre at Tewkesbury where he went on Wednesday evenings for a few months. They put him up for trial and he got in. Kev Brooks, Worcester City under-11's manager, said Harley has shown the dedication needed to play at the highest level of youth football. His desire to learn and progress is a credit to him. Worcester City has helped him achieve his dream of academy football by offering him a pathway. And everyone wishes Harley all the very best of luck, as do we. Right, well, it's another Worcester City football um, story here and another one about a young person. Um, This is about Cameron Walker, who had his debut for Worcester City on on Wednesday the 7th of November and scored in a 4-1 win at Highgate United in the Midland League Cup. And uh, the piece is is an interview with him, a very young man looking very cheerful. What's his background? Walker linked up with West Bromwich Albion at the age of 12 and was a scholar until his release over the summer. He recently played his first game for Dudley Town and came off the bench in Starbridge's Southern League Cup tie against Cinderford Town on Monday. The 18-year-old remains registered and eligible for Starbridge, City and Dudley as a non-contract player due to each team competing in different leagues. How have things been since leaving West Brom? Walker said, I'd been around academy football for six years, so it was a bit of a change coming into non-league. When you've been in comfort your whole life, everything being done for you, from your kit to everything else, it can be hard, but I'm adjusting to it well. I found myself a job and a club now. I'm no big time Charlie. I don't think I'm the best and will just get my head down and work hard. I'm gaining fitness and experience and enjoying it. At the moment, I'm happy at Starbridge, but Worcester have asked me to come down and play a few games, which I'm happy with. What do you do outside of football? I work in a warehouse to keep myself busy and money in my pocket, as well as playing football. Hopefully I can get back into football full-time. What are you looking to achieve this season? I had a Premier League scholarship and have dropped a long way, but I want to climb the ladder again and fight my way to the top. All I can do is work hard and see what I can get out of it. I love football and just want to stay in there. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Hockey now. National Cup progress for Worcester Masters. Worcester Masters team provided a weekend highlight at Bristol and West in the English Hockey Over 50s Cup first round. In a tough, close match, Worcester dominated a goalless first half with good pressure, slick passing and steady build-up, but could not convert any chances. The hosts broke the deadlock, though Worcester claimed the goal should not have stood as one of their defenders was lying in the penalty area with a head injury. Undeterred, the visitors still pressed and were rewarded with a string of penalty corners with one finally converted by Mark Carey from a Malcolm Evans pass. At full time, the game was still level, so on to penalties. 
Worcester converted all four attempts and Red Sharrett in goal saved two from Bristol, giving Worcester a 4-1 win on penalties. Evans, Phil Thomas, Martin Husbands and Paul Sharrett were all on target. The club was less successful in their Sunday league fixtures, with only the women's fourths notching up a victory in beating Harborne 5-1 with Millie McCormick among the scorers. Worcester men's firsts came close to their first points of the season, but just lost out 2-1 to Sutton Coldfield. The goal was a powerful reverse stick shot from Seb Hood after a pass by Jack Furman. The seconds lost 3-1 to Edgbaston with Jake Glass scoring. Worcester thirds went down 5-2 to Stourport with Brett Pittam grabbing his seventh goal of the season alongside a penalty from Tom Lewis. The fourths suffered badly from availability issues and lost 6-0 to Sutton. The fifths also conceded six goals to Bromsgrove but scored three in return through Ollie Betteridge who scored two and Mark Yeldham. Worcester sixths lost 4-1 at home to Edgbaston with Andy Griffin on target and the sevenths suffered another heavy defeat at Starport, conceding 11 without reply. The women's firsts lost 2-0 at Warwick in a difficult, somewhat frustrating game. Worcester kept battling to the end, pressing hard for goals that would just not come. The seconds fell 2-1 to Starport with Lucy Grace scoring and the City Club's thirds went down 3-1 to Bourneville after a goal by Abby Clark. And this is a very short piece about a drive-in to welcome a new captain. Golf. The ladies' section of Worcester Golf and Country Club held the traditional drive-in to welcome their new captain, Jenny Gadd from Malvern. The lady captain's team lost 8-6 in a challenge match against the honorary secretary's side. Julie Kane won nearest the pin on the captain's drive and Anne Hardwick triumphed on the sixth hole. Thank you, Jane. And that concludes the sport for this week and we'll move on to the obituaries. Uh, Catherine, Phil and I will be reading them and I will start... Howell Nay Lloyd Mary passed away peacefully on October the 21st at Windmill Residential Home, Thornbury. A family funeral has taken place already. Donations in Mary's memory may be made to the RNLI, care of Ellen J. Gulwell, funeral, di- funeral directors, 1 Quaker Lane, Thornbury, Bristol, BS 35 2AD. Cyril Lawrence Perry, formerly of Bailey's and White's, passed away peacefully at Regent's House on October the 25th, aged 97. Funeral service and burial at St. Philip and St. James's Church Hallow on Tuesday, November the 20th at 12.30pm. No flowers by request, but donations if desired to help for heroes. Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, telephone 748 Eight double one. John William Saby passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Monday, November the fifth, age eighty. The funeral service took place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the fifteenth. That was today. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for Worcester Royal Hospital. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care. Telephone Worcester two two one three seven. Wendy Gillian Smith passed away at home on October the 27th, aged 65 years. Funeral service at St Barnabas Church on Tuesday, November the 20th at 12 noon. 
followed by interment at Aswood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. No black dress, bright colours by request, please. Kate Butler, nay Wilcox, passed away peacefully, surrounded by her loving family on October the 31st, aged 42 years. A private family service will take place in Worcester. Donations in memory of Kate to St Richard's Hospice and the Worcestershire Breast Unit Haven may be sent care of R.L. Ray Funeral Directors Limited, 17 Rock Hill, Bromsgrove, Worcestershire, B617LL, telephone 01527831723. Davis Elvia June passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on November the 2nd, aged 82. Funeral service has taken place. Family flowers only, the cooperative funeral care, 17 Lowers Moor, Worcester, for further details. Spencer, nay Lockie, Marjorie Jean, sadly passed away, surrounded by family on October the 24th. The funeral service took place on Wednesday, November the 14th. Donations, if desired, to Death Direct, sent to AV Band, St John's, WR2 4LE. Spires, or Spears, Joan Dorothy, passed away peacefully on October the 27th, aged 84. Funeral service at Stolton Church on Friday, November the 16th at 2.30pm, followed by interment in the churchyard. Flowers may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Karen Jarman, née Stewart, died on the 25th of October 2018. Um, the funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow, Friday, November the 16th at 11.30am, followed by memorial service at Great Malvern Priory at 1pm. Family flowers only, with donations if desired in aid of St Richard's Hospice. Charles Hooper died on the 5th of November 2018. Um, the service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, November the 20th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospice may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band 1 Malvern Road, WR24LE. Joan Langford, nay Freeman, passed away on November the 7th, 2018, aged 90 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, November the 20th at 1pm. By request of the family, please wear a splash of colour. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be placed in the collection box available at the service. John Patrick Wilkes of Worcester, known as Jake, died at St Richard's Hospice on November the 6th, 2018, aged 76. 
The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 28th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. John Wills passed away on November the 2nd, 2018. A celebration of John's life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 23rd at 10am. Feel free to wear a splash of red. Immediate family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, may be left for St Richard's Hospice on the collection plate or to AV Band, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11. UW. Patricia Elsie Bradshaw passed away peacefully on November the 7th, 2018. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 21st at 3.15. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Midlands Air Ambulance may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Jean Demoni, aged 78 years, passed away peacefully on November 5, 2018 at St Richard's Hospice. A committal service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 19th at 10.45am, followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Andrew's Methodist Church, Pump Street at 1215 Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice may be left at church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester 748811. Kevin John Fay passed away peacefully at home on November the 5th, 2018. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, November the 20th at 3.15. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice or Pancreatic Cancer Research may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque only made payable to the charity. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, Worcester 22137. Douglas Macmillan passed away peacefully at Stanfield Nursing Home, Rushwick, on November the 3rd. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 29th at 1.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society, and they may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester 748811. Stephen Thomas O'Donnell passed away at St Richard's Hospice on November the 4th. A service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November 22nd at 2.30. Donations in aid of St Richard's Hospice, care of Andrew Phillips Funeral Services, Worcester 616, treble 2. Tasmin Mayor Pugh uh, died tragically as a result of a devastating fire on October the 28th, 2018. Funeral service at Pershaw Abbey on Monday, November 26th at 11, followed by private cremation. Formal dress optional, colours welcome. Family flowers only. 
Donations for the Joanna Brown Trust may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR101, sorry, WR101HZ. Sheila Summerfield passed away peacefully at Hennick Grange Nursing Home on Tuesday, November the 6th. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November 21st at 9.15am. Thank you. And Catherine, sorry, Jane, would you like to do the thought for the day for us, please? Yes, the thought is taken from Matthew 9, verses 20 to 22. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Thank you. I have the sunrise and sunset times here. Sunrise tomorrow is 7.24 and sunset is at 4.21pm. The nights are drawing in, as they say, sadly. And finally, birthdays. We are celebrating today Paddy Fellows. His birthday's this Thursday, today. And on the 20th, the team would like to wish Howard Jones a very happy birthday. And that concludes this week's edition of the Talking Newspaper. I would like to thank everybody for all their contributions. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me, Catherine. And goodbye from me, Philip. And goodbye from me, Jane. And finally, in their own vocal tribute to those dark days of the Great War, from local a cappella group Meraki. It's a long way to Tipper.